Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Hi, everybody. It's Steve Pemberton again, the Chief Human Resources Officer at Work Human. By now, you know this is called our Keeping Work Human series, where I invite guests literally from all over the world, from all walks of life, talk about a series of issues, topics that are on our mind at Work Human and on our guest mind. And so today, my very special guest is Tamara Fields. Tamara is the Austin Office Managing Director. She's on the board of multiple nonprofit organizations, including the Texas Conference for Women, which promotes the influence of women in the workplace and beyond. Her innovative work surrounding equality and inclusion is paving the way towards a more human workplace. So you would understand why we have been excited here at Work Human to talk with her. So Tamara, thanks for joining us. How was life in Austin? Hi, thanks so much, Steve. You know, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. I mean, in terms of Austin, like everyone else, it's hot because it's summer and we are all navigating the COVID-19 reality within our city and the increases that we've seen here in Austin and in Texas. And in fact, just today I was on a task force for reopening Austin with the mayor and our chamber president just on that topic. But I'm very excited to be with Work Human today because I'm a big advocate of expanding inclusion and diversity in the workplace in our cities. And it's something that's top of mind. And so I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Well, we have an affinity for Austin, as we do any place where we have had a Work Human Live conference, which we did not have this year. But we'll be back in San Antonio. So we like Texas, too. <laughs> that's good. It's a great place. And, you know, San Antonio is just an hour down the road from where I live. So I am happy to join you. Oh, so we're going to see you then. Very, <laughs> yeah. very <laughs> I'm missing people. I will freely admit that. <laughs> yes, and come join us at the Alamo and the Riverwalk and all the other San Antonio sites. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. And bring a friend too. That's the other. Bring bring several friends. Always. We don't roll any other way in Texas. It's a uh, community effort, community people. <laughs> very, very true. Well, tell us a little bit about the work that you've been up to lately. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's been really interesting for me over the last several weeks. You know, you mentioned that I'm now Austin Office Managing Director, so I'm responsible for our Austin office. In addition to that, I have another role where I'm responsible for the operations. You know, we call the Chief Operating Officer for the South Market Unit. In both of these roles, you know, we've been dealing with quite a lot of change. First, with the closure of our offices in support of safety of our people for COVID-19. And then most recently, everything that has been happening on a national stage with the racial injustices that we've seen all around the country that has invigorated an entire movement and really trying to understand how do we interpret and deal with that within our company. Because, you know, we realized several years ago that as much as we think we just show up to work, we bring all of ourselves to work. And that's something that's important to us in my company at Accenture. We believe in this concept called truly human. 
And with that, you just can't ignore what impacts people on a personal level. And so for me, as an African-American and as a woman already working in a technology space that doesn't have a lot of people that look like me, I was really impacted on what was happening. And so we took a very interesting approach within our company to have an active conversation and really encourage that at all levels of our company. And so for my own office, I've had three town halls already that were open forum dialogues around how people were feeling, what they were thinking. And I had to start honestly from my own voice, my own conversation. And I found it a lot harder than what you would think, right? And so I recognized that for myself, one of the key items that was most important is to not stay silent. And You know, it was interesting how that process evolved even for myself. We have employee resource groups. That's a big thing for most companies. And we have an African-American employee resource group. And one of our city locations had like an open all-day kind of town hall where all of us ended up jumping on and our senior leaders jumped on. And and it was just very interesting to see and hear people's stories. And I think that just really kind of firestormed across the company. And all of us had these discussions. And so for myself, I really had to face the fact that as much as I'm an advocate for inclusion and diversity, you mentioned I was on Texas Conference for Women. I'm always pushing women in technology. That's important to me, you know, because I'm often the only person when I show up in a room, you know, I do all of these things. I'm on the board of trustees for HBCU in Dallas, Houston Tillerson. You know, I'm trying to be out there. I'm trying to advocate. I'm trying to mentor. I realized that ultimately, that one of the biggest mistakes I had personally made is not sharing my own experiences that I have dealt with both professionally and personally. And I realized that I did that because I was raised to do that. Like I grew up in a middle-class home. I'm very fortunate in that. We're an African-American family. I'm multi-generation college educated. My parents are college educated. My grandparents are college educated. And even my great grandmother taught school. And so education was very big. But at the same time, we were taught very much that this is how you handle situations. Don't make people feel uncomfortable. You need to just be thankful that you have a job. So don't bring up topics that are taboo in the workplace. And obviously, racism was a taboo topic. And so I was very much raised with that concept. So what really brought this to light was when I was preparing for the town hall, one of my colleagues who happens to be runs HR and, and our South market unit, we're really good friends. And she's also been a mentor for me for years, right? And she made a comment. She made two comments that were extremely impactful to me. One she said is, Tamara, we were preparing for the town hall. We want to do it. And so I was telling her what I was going to share. She's like, I'm really hurt and a little offended. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I have known you for years, years. It's not like we're just work colleagues, we're friends. And she's like, how come I don't know this? How come you've never shared any of this? And then she's like, I feel really ashamed because I really thought everything was okay. And that was my first signal that I had lived very much in a compartmentalized world And so right now, what I'm really encouraging, which is a long answer to your question, is that it's important for us to share our experiences professionally as well as personally and to hold ourselves accountable. Because if you don't do that, then it makes it that much harder for unconscious bias training and microaggressions and other things that show up in various worlds that we live in to be addressed. And so that was a really long answer to your question, but I wanted you to understand the context. Well, it is a concept I, I do understand because I, too, live it every day in some way, shape, or form. But ironically, I was on a board call just yesterday, and I've had the same approach, too. 
Uh, I take this conversation as an opportunity to fully acquaint you with the daily realities of what it means to navigate race in America. So I am going to tell you that as recently as 24 hours ago, my wife and daughter and I were followed for several miles by a police officer. and We were just getting ice cream, watched him completely change his path, follow us, but clearly he was running plates. Now, she had just gotten her permit. And so what should have been a, and I could watch her. I watched her tense up and I just had to tell, listen to the sound of my voice. Do you have your permit? You know, and she said, of course I, yeah. And I mean, she said, you know, of course I do. You know, I think that prior generations of the village told us was to be safe, in other words. And now we realize that that approach of, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And so because we don't talk about it, people think that we don't experience it because we are multi-generational educated, perhaps, or we have the titles and roles that we do that somehow in our presentation or in our articulation, we are immune, seemingly, from these matters because they don't really touch us. When in fact, I think regrettably so, we're finding in far too many instances, it is the excellence that becomes a threat now. That's quite a shift if you think about it for a minute, because what you were told, what I was told was go to the right schools, work in the right places, keep your head down, don't say much, and you will be embraced. And now it seems that, you know, a lot of times black excellence appears to be a threat and a very purposeful intention to, quote unquote, put us in our place or back in our place. I've seen that repeatedly, by the way. And yet at the same time, as you rightly point out, when we hold up that mirror to our allies, our awakened allies, as I call them, they're one, completely shocked by it, I think. And then the other is they ask, because they are our friends, as you point out, they say, well, what can I do? What can I do? So some encouragement here. I wanted to ask about this intersection of race and gender for you. And I would argue that there is a third layer for you, which is race, gender, and underrepresentation in either category in the field that you're in. Tell me how you navigate that. How does it show up in your daily life and work? It's hard. You know, I think if you were to ask me that question, it would be very dependent on where I was in my career. Where I am now, it's a different conversation and answer to where I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Because I think initially when I first started the workforce, you know, I was greatly impacted by imposter syndrome. And so I felt very protective and I felt very isolated because I often was on teams where I was not invited to lunch. I was not invited to people's houses and it just felt very isolating. What was interesting about that is that ended up becoming the motivator in my career when I was younger because I'm a person who needs people. Like I still need connection. I realized that about myself early on. And so I'm like, okay, if you don't want to receive me, that's fine. So I started creating really strong relationships with my clients and I work in the consulting business. That led to a lot of success for me without realizing it. So I was making a connection for a personal need to have some type of interaction with, you know, at least if I didn't have it in my immediate workforce at the time, I needed it somewhere. And that connection really led to me learning how to create strong client relationships, which was very helpful to my career, to the work that I did, the client satisfaction that I had, the expanse, my ability to sell work. 
But it was interesting to me that for the longest time, initially, I would have what I would call a muted voice, right? A self-edited voice. That was harmful to me internally in my company because I didn't know how to own my voice. Today, people should be glad that there's so much conversation around brand management, to have a personal brand, to bring your authentic self to work. There's at least the concept that diversity brings success, right? Even if it's not always executed in the levels that we'd like to see in middle management executive levels. But when I was rising through the company, that was not the case. And so I often had to deal with the unconscious bias of being an, an angry Black woman. By nature, I'm assertive, I'm direct. And as I really started to embrace my voice, the very thing that would help me propel my career was also sometimes my largest criticism as well. And so it was really hard trying to navigate having a voice as a female, and then at the same time, having a voice as an African-American female became a challenge because, you know, people were trying to figure out how are you here? Are you here? Because you only have these gender, color, ethnicities. And so there was a lot of judgment that I felt early on. But over time, I really started to rest in who I am and what my strengths are. And I spent a lot of time doing leadership profiles like Myers-Briggs and social styles. And there's so many out there and really understanding what was my leadership story. And I had to feel comfortable owning that. And so one of the big kind of movement areas in my career is when I realized that I needed to embrace individuals who did not look like me if I wanted to move up, full stop. And that realization was important because I had to figure out how to have relationships with sponsors and mentors and seek those relationships and recognize that, no, we may not be able to come from the same personal point of view, but there could still be a connection. There could still be a tie and we needed to find it. And that took me some time to learn that skill. But once I did that, that really helped me navigate my career. And then I realized that it came this realization, what it really means to be inclusive. And so today my conversation with people, my mentoring, the sponsors, everything, I'm really focused on inclusion. Because I think if you can find your strengths and you can own your voice, and then you seek out people who really recognize the importance of inclusion, then you're able to navigate, you know, the barriers that are going to naturally come because, you know, you're a different voice, you're a different thought process. You have different thought leadership. And then over time, when they see the success associated with that, it starts to become more embraced because ultimately you tie back to the fact that we have a collective goal. I will also say it helps right now, I think in recent years, that we had a North America CEO who's now our global CEO who made diversity clearly an imperative for my company. And the fact that she herself is a female has also very much helped, right? So she was our first female CEO globally. And I think having that messaging was very important as well. And being someplace that I feel like I can bring my authentic self to work is exceptionally important. And so I just had to be comfortable with my own skin and I had to be comfortable creating business relationships with individuals who did not look like me and still being able to have a successful relationship with each other based on mutual respect. Mm. You know, a lot of organizations are asking about inclusion specifically and struggling in many ways to define what it is, what it feels like. How would you answer those who are asking, how do I be more inclusive? Yeah, for me, the best way to say it is 
the reality is often at our senior levels, even though we are committing to change that, right? We've made a 50-50 commitment for women. And now on September 1, we're going to make a commitment for African-Americans and Hispanics. Today, I still often walk in the room and it is still just me that looks like me. And Mm -hmm. if that is the case, right, inclusion for me is when I walk in that room, I feel okay. I feel safe. And I feel like if I speak up, I'm Mm going to be heard and people are going to acknowledge what I contributed into that space. Mm -hmm. That for me is inclusion. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to ask when you walk into that room and you're okay, you're comfortable in that environment, and yet you readily acknowledge that I'm still the only one. Do you find that your peers and colleagues in that same room realize that too? Or is this still a blind spot? I mean, I know this is a virtual world now for the last several months here, but what have you experienced historically? Is it I think some people are just clueless because people are naturally caught up in where they are and what they're doing and whatever the purpose is of why we're there. But I do think there's individuals that recognize it. For example, we just created a new organizational model that we launched that was announced in January. And so we had had this major meeting that I was at and I walked in this room and I had walked into lunch and I was late. So people had kind of already formed their little, you know how people form their little circles. And so I was walking to this room. I didn't know a lot of people in this particular room. And so at that time I was not feeling gregarious, right? And I didn't want to go insert myself into a table. So I just found an empty table and I sat down, you know what I mean? And I was quickly okay being by myself. I wasn't overly concerned, but it was so interesting to me. This one individual is a Caucasian male I mean, there's a whole table. I was by myself at this table. He came into that room and he sat next to me. Like you could have sat anywhere in the room. He clearly knew other people in the room, but he came in and he sat next to me. He did that intentionally. And he did that because we were going to be working together as part of this new organizational model. He did not know me and we were going to be working closely together in our 2B world. And he wanted to get to know me. He saw I was sitting by myself. He intentionally made that decision. And when we were having some of these various town halls at different levels, you know, he had called me to say, Tamara, I just want to check in on you. How are you doing? And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm struggling, right? Because at the time I was, you know, tired. It was a lot of discussions. You know, it was just, it was a lot, right? And I wasn't sleeping well. And so I was sharing with him, but, and I said to him, but I appreciate you. And he's like, well, why? He's like, and I don't know why that particular thought memory came up and I mentioned it and he said, you know, Tamara, I spent years living in Asia and it was the first time (laughs) where I was truly the minority. People didn't speak the language that I spoke. People didn't look like me. He said, when I first moved, it was so uncomfortable. And so he was sharing with me his experiences and he said, for the first time, it made him think differently and be sensitive in a way that he never would have been in the past. Made him aware, you know? Made him aware. That's exactly. So he did operate with intention. But do I think that in general, I think in general, people don't think about it because I just think people don't realize. I really do. And so that's where it's on us. It's incumbent on us to not be silent and help people to be aware because people can't address what they don't know. And that's where I feel my responsibility is and where I haven't been as responsible in this conversation and dialogue in the past. Instead, I focused on how do we get the right training and how do we make sure people have career progression and how do we do measurements? You know, we did all the normal things that we're supposed to do, but I think it's much more nuanced than that. Mm, there's a tradition 
and the African-American church of greeting visitors. And there's usually some form of you're the first time in a church, an African-American church, and you're greeted warmly. And especially there's a different tone when you're not African-American and you go to an African-American church in the way in which you're greeting. I've quite a few, I've suggested this to a number of my friends who are asking, and like, look, go to a black church. And I guarantee you probably the most warmly welcome that you've been in that entire week, because we know that you are the only one in that church or one of a few. And we don't want you to feel the way that we felt during the week when we were the only one. That's why we have that tradition of welcoming you and telling you that in this home, that is God's home, you have a place here you should not feel in any way, shape, or form on the outside. So your colleague was pulling in a way from an experience that he had, right, in Asia. And that kind of awareness, it manifests itself in kind of a small thing. In a moment like that, it is a small thing. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this a little bit and think, well, we have to be an inclusion specialist. No, just be human. And pick your head up a little bit, be a little bit more aware, and then do something like sit down next to a colleague, ask them how they're doing. That's a, it's a great story. And I hope that we hear more of that. I think that'd be so impactful for so many others. Where do you think we're going to go from here? I, I sense that there's a new tone. Do you feel that there's a new tone and new tone? And where do you think that's going to take us? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely a shift simply because there is so much more conversation happening that I've ever seen in my history of working or even personally. I've had friends come up to me. I have centuries. I have a very diverse friend set, you know, and I've always lived in multiple worlds because I grew up in Austin. Austin is majority, you know, well, I'll just say that the percentage of African-Americans in Austin has always been a small percentage and it's even smaller now than when it was when I was growing up. And so I've always lived in primarily white neighborhoods and gone to primarily white schools where it's less than 2% or 1% black. I went to UT Austin when it was, you know, 2.5% black and I've always kind of lived this dichotomy of multiple worlds, Black world, my church world, and then I kind of had the other worlds that I existed in. But what I've seen more so today than any other time is the intersectionality of the world. (laughs) And so I think that people are asking questions and I think people are just seeking to understand. I mean, I've had a lot of friends just ask me questions they would have never asked me in the past. And it's uncomfortable for them and it's uncomfortable for me because sometimes you just take these things for granted. So that is a shift. I think the fact that we're having these conversations in the workplace, that is not the norm, right? And it was not the norm of corporate history. It is not, right? But you saw over the last several weeks, several companies have the conversation. The fact that our own CEO was on CNBC or on various platforms, and she was talking about the importance of the conversation, and that is a change. Typically, you're just talking about a company's business results. You're not talking about cultural awareness or inclusion and diversity in the workplace. So that shift is there. I think what has to happen now is conversation is good. The reality is, what are we going to do with the conversation? And that's what we're challenged to do right now, right? So I think coming out from executive levels to middle management is going to be key to holding people to accountability, transparency, leadership, metrics, like what are you going to do with it, right? Are you going to do a true self-evaluation of your organization? Are there areas that need to be addressed? Are there trainings that need to be developed around anti-racism? You know, are you going to make some type of commitment around leadership and making sure that there is career progression for all types of people? You know, I think when 
we were talking about this. One of the things I'd ask you to take a look at was our inclusion starts with I video. You know, for me, diversity is more than ethnicity. It's more than gender. It's single people and people with aging parents and people with no kids and people with kids, right? There's so many ways that we all need to operate as humans and hold each other accountable to a conversation of equality and ability to own voice and have voice in the cycle. But right now, I think the real question is the conversation's there, what are we gonna do with it? And I think we all have to challenge ourselves to take on accountability around that challenge. And that's what I'm doing, right? So beyond conversation, I'm supporting our leadership on what are we going to do with the information that we've gained and the conversations that we've had, because it did rebuild areas that we need to address like anybody, right? We want people to feel safe in our environment. We want people to feel safe at our clients. Insights. We want to be partners with our clients on this conversation of inclusion and diversity. And the fact that we're going to, we've publicly stated that we're going to come out with a goal to increase African-Americans and Hispanics at all levels of our company on September 1st is a big deal. I think, again, we publish our numbers. We started a couple of years ago. And I think that's important because if you don't, how do you have accountability without transparency? Like, I, I don't understand right? It can't just be a conversation. And so I think now we need to take this movement and do something with it. And I think there's power in numbers. So seeing corporate partnerships, seeing nonprofit partnerships around this so that we jointly do it together. We don't need to individually solve it and all hold us accountable to that conversation so that there is, I hate to say it, social pressure (laughs) to be accountable to how we operate and treat each other from a human dynamic is important. And so that's what I would really like to see happen. I mean, there's uh, certainly quite a few lessons and directions, I think, in what you're suggesting, accountability, transparency collective engagement and involvement, not leaving it in the domain of the single individual, that everybody be immersed. And don't confuse, as one of my coaches used to say when he saw me, if ever he saw me dribbling in, I played basketball, and so if ever he saw me, you know, kind of didn't matter what the environment was, if he ever saw me dribbling in place, he would say, you know, boy, that's a lot of activity, but no accomplishment. In other words, you weren't going anywhere. You were dribbling all over the place, but you weren't really moving. And I think this analogous here around conversation. Don't confuse conversation with accomplishment. Specifically, the point of the conversation is to set a direction and then to follow that direction in an accountable, transparent way. And I think that that, for a lot of organizations who are trying to, still struggling, well, what does this look like? I think that's a great start, especially when we know that they do that so many other places. Let me leave with this last question. You know, clearly a lot going on in your world and all of our worlds, personally, professionally. And we're being tested in a whole lot of different ways. What are your reasons for optimism? Yeah, it's so interesting that you asked that question because I've had so many emotions in recent weeks. And I think right now, what are my reasons for optimism? I think it's the fact that I've had so many people personally and professionally reach out to me in and outside of this. So if I think about the people I've spoken to at the chamber, the people I've spoken to at the Texas Conference for Women and the person who runs our Texas Conference for Women as an organization, she reached out and she said, Tamara, I want to hear your perspective. I want to know what you're doing. We're going to put an entire platform and website around how do people get educated, right? And so what would you recommend? So I sent her this full list of books and 
films and things that I think that people can know and utilize and watch and podcast. I mean, just all this stuff on African-American culture and anti-racism. And I did that too. I have a long list of stuff, but I've asked people to do is to rewrite privilege because I think that is right. Fragility is important is a big one, but I'll have to bring up the list, but I provided it. And then she took it and they created a website and they posted it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. How do you not feel optimistic about that? Right? Like the fact that someone asked me something, I provided something. They asked a whole lot of other people. They all provided something and then they took it and they did something with it. You know what I mean? And so I am optimistic because there are people who do not look like me, who really care, like they care. When I see the people standing up and their willingness to represent a message, I was, you know, walking through my neighborhood and I saw signs out there. And I know that the term Black Lives Matters offends a lot of people. We've had this conversation even just today within my company, the automatic response is all lives matter. And it's not about that. It's about how do you acknowledge a group of people's pain to their reality, that their experience is different than yours and harder than yours in many regards. But the fact that there are people now acknowledging that gives me great optimism. And to see, like for me personally, I want to work someplace where I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I want to be in a place of authority to make a difference. And I am. And to see a news broadcast where my CEO and they asked her about Black Lives Matter, she's like, Black Lives must matter. That mm-hmm. is what she said. Like that gives me optimism because at the end of the day, that is an acknowledgement of my experience. And everybody who's a person of color has had an experience. Sure. And so giving voice to that experience to me gives me a lot of optimism that there is the possibility of improvement. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that this is a marathon and not a sprint. I am fully in acknowledgement of that. But the fact that there are people who care, that gives me great optimism because it's very easy to get caught up in negative news and rhetoric. The reality is I have had success in my career. I have been promoted and I have had opportunity and somebody had to be a part of that story to make that happen. Well, powerful, powerful lessons. For anybody who asks that very, very important question, what can I do? And I, you rightly you know, point out the power of being an ally and what that means, wrestling with these kinds of persistent questions. I suspect that for a lot of people listening to the advice and counsel that you've given will be very, very instructive and incredibly you know, helpful. We would love to see Tamara's List, and I'm going to brand that Tamara's List because I suspect that it resonated. And then I did the same. So I, on mine, Tamara, I had, you have to read Frederick Douglass's What to the Slave is your 4th of July. That's required. You should read the lyrics of what was frequently called the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. That should be required to see the history Watch the YouTube video of Chimita and Ways, The Danger of a Single Story, which is equally like powerful Nigerian author. I mean, there are all things that we can do. So we're going to combine this. We're going to share it with the work human family as well, because I suspect it will have the same impact for us that it did for others as well. And lastly, how's the family doing? 
you know, <laughs> my family is doing very well, and I'm just thankful that we're healthy, that we're whole. We were very fortunate to all come together for the 4th of July, and we had some barbecue and great eating. And like all families, my siblings and spouses and kids were hanging out on a Saturday night, going through old school decade by decade music. Cause that's we were dancing. We were having too much fun. This is what we always do. You would think we get over it, but that's what we do every time. Go through music memory lane and talk about oh, who yes. gets the one and what song and if people get up. So, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, Tamara, uh, what a great note to end on. You know, from our work, human family, to your family, but your, your family, family, and then your essential family. Thanks for joining. It's been a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really, and I appreciate what you're doing because putting the conversation out there, sharing advice, sharing people's perspectives, there's so much power in that. And so I appreciate you doing that. And also just letting us have a human connection here today. And the same, and the same. We'll be seeing you real soon. Okay.